Sijun prides itself on supporting journalists throughout their working day. They have a handy and free media request service, which helps you get the info you need for your stories. You can also set up a free professional profile on Cision and connect directly with PRs. Meanwhile, cisionjobs.co.uk is the perfect job site to find your next great role. Finally, the Media Moves newsletter is a fantastic place for freelancers and staffers to shout about their new jobs, new beats or availability for commissions. Come and join the Cision family. Find out more by visiting cision.co.uk forward slash journalists dash services. and welcome to Freelancing for Journalists. I'm Lily Cantor and I'm Emma Wilkinson. We're both experienced freelance journalists and in each episode with the help of two great guests we give practical tips on key issues you face when working for yourself. Yeah so this week the topic is securing steady work. Yeah so we're going to talk all about the pros and cons of having a more regular gig and also about how you build on those relationships that you have with existing editors so you're their go-to person and you can be kind of guaranteed of some fairly frequent commissions with them. Yeah so we're also going to touch on getting more long-term contracts or projects as well Uh, but first let's share our freelance highlight of the week. Lily what's yours? Yeah, I think mine has to be a story that I sort of stumbled across um, and it's turned out to be a bit of a gem. It's got everything in there. It's got tragedy. It's got kind of a strong health theme. There's a physical and mental challenges. And then there's a kind of art twist to it at the end. So I was really excited because it was something I spotted. No one else has got the story at the moment. Um, and I think it's going to be a really great piece. I just need to pitch it this week. And I'm hoping it's going to turn into um, a really nice feature. So it was it was a good spot, I'm hoping. Well, that's exciting. It's going to be picking out which bit of that. Mm, there's <laughs> so much going pitch, on in it? this person's life. But um, I think it's going to be a good one. How about you, Emma? Um, yeah, so I uh, finished a feature this week on net zero carbon commitments for national health systems like the UK has been doing loads on this but now there's others around the world who are joining in and the piece had a really tight turnaround and they asked for kind of twice as long as I expected Um, but I was really happy with it in the end and it did involve me trying to contact people all over the world including kind of Fiji and Malawi so it was a bit outside my usual comfort zone but I think it just shows that health journalism is actually really broad and you end up writing about so many things that you never kind of expected uh you know when I started out I didn't think I'd be writing about climate so yeah I just found it really interesting it was really um really interesting thing to get my teeth into yeah it's really good when you've got something that like you say is a bit out of your comfort zone um but it is is related to your topic I found even though I write mostly about personal finance I've also been doing a lot of environmental stuff at the moment as well I guess it's everywhere um, which can only be a good thing, really. Great. OK, so let's move on um, and introduce our guests. So first we have Mel Stern, freelance journalist, editor, producer and charity communications consultant. Mel has worked for a wide range of print and broadcast outlets, including Newsnight, The Guardian, Cosmopolitan, as well as doing comms for a range of organisations. 
And we also have Tufail Ahmed, a freelance journalist, editor and journalism lecturer. He's written for Newsweek, CNN, Vice, Forbes and more. He's currently working for Big Issue Breakthrough Programme to help young people enter journalism as well as writing a book. So thank you both very much for coming on today. As we said, our topic is securing steady work. This might be a longer term contract with someone or just building up a relationship with an editor so you get more regular work from them. So Mel, let's start with you. You've done some work as a freelance journalist that's involved longer contracts. Can you give some examples of how that kind of work has come about in the first place? Yeah, so um, basically I, I was working as a full-time magazine editor in finance um, about 10 years ago. And then I basically wanted to go and do a master's. And so I was gonna, I'd saved up for a few years to actually leave work and then do this master's full-time. And then wanted to be a freelance after that. Um, but what happened was I got cancer when I left my uh, my job within a few weeks I had this diagnosis of cancer awesome um, and then basically after that I, I had a vision envisioned that I would kind of stay in full-time in journalism I'd never thought of doing anything else I'd wanted to be a journalist my whole life and I was doing it so that was my plan but I thought that maybe I would go and do it in another country and kind of use it as a way to travel as well and still work as an editor um, and kind of be at that level curating magazines because that's what I love, love to do um, but after I, I had my chemotherapy and got better I had to think about well could I just dive straight in again and do another kind of hardcore editing job that's really full-time and then some and I didn't think that was the right thing to do straight away at least so um, then what happened was I went and did my course and then when I finished my course um, I I started working in charity comms. So to go back a bit, I then also had my, my first child. So I had like a few busy years. I did my master's course full-time for a year. Then I had my son. Um, and then I sort of through contacts basically uh, managed to get a, a contract, which was three days a week with um, a charity called World Vision. And just to kind of see how it went. And it was great. It was really fun. And through that, through kind of, being introduced into that world, there's actually quite a lot of um, journalists or a decent amount of journalists who do that because it's all about transferable skills. So charities want to tell their stories in order to engage their audiences and they need our skills for that. So that went really well. And then through meeting other people doing that, I kind of got successive contra contracts doing that. But I also um, worked for Newsnight. So I had a contract there um, for about a year and a half uh, and that that was really fun too so I've done quite a few different things um shall I tell you how the news night one came about because that's a different kind of angle yeah I'd definitely be really interested to hear about uh how you got into that one cool so um basically I used to watch news night um every night I loved it and um because at that point I was really into kind of um business and finance so that's what I primarily written about and that's kind of what my interest was and so that kind of political angle and kind of that kind of leadership angle was interesting to me so I used to watch Newsnight all the time I emailed them looking to do 
some unpaid work just to get my foot in the door. And I don't know how it would work these days, but I did manage to get that. So I went into old broadcasting house and spent a couple of weeks just working there unpaid. That led to a paid freelance contract of three months. And at that point, they moved into new broadcasting house. So it was super exciting being an old broadcasting house, getting lost in the old corridors, and then moving over to new broadcasting house, the big shiny building inside the Beeb. Um, and that basically would roll over every three months for about a year and a half. So that was really, really fun. But one downside was that you wouldn't really know until the last minute if you were going to be renewed for another three months. So that's the kind of precariousness in a nutshell of the flip side of that kind of work but it was great fun yeah I mean it's it's interesting because both those examples you gave there um are really about forms of networking getting in touch with people kind of making contacts using those contacts you already know but also reaching out to to new people and take you know just trying to create your own opportunities but kind of in in different ways uh, so it's interesting how that comes about and um, I mean same question uh, Tufael, you have this kind of role with the big issue at the moment. You also work as a lecturer at London South Bank University. So what kind of benefits, but also downsides, kind of pros and cons, um, does it bring to a freelancer to have those regular gigs on top of your other work? Um, yeah, I, I, I have to say, like, uh, similarly to, to kind of Mel, you know, I, I came from a very kind of like newsroom background doing quite uh, intense nine, well, not even nine to five jobs, but more like 18 hour day jobs, um, you know, in newsrooms and things like that. So um, when, you know, COVID happened and I lost um, my last staff role as, a, as an editor, you know, it was, it was very quite disconcerting and it was it was just like oh my gosh how do I do this and what am I going to do and I really found that having those steady gigs um really helped me having uh even if it's just kind of like one day a week two days a week uh every now and then to do lecturing or uh I also did some comms work for Amnesty International um having those those gigs on a regular basis really helped me kind of make sure that I, I was still afloat during the pandemic and so that was absolutely a wonderful benefit it really does and just does help you sustain you know your, your creative life um and you know Mel said that a lot of a lot of uh, freelance journalists do do this do supplement their income with a bit of like comms work and things like that and I think it's such a great steady way of like making sure that you have some time for yourself to do all these other passion projects that you are interested in. And I've definitely enjoyed kind of having that freedom over this last year and a half where uh, I, I don't feel like I have to kind of be chained to a desk and, and just doing those couple of days a week um, shifts, etc. makes makes it feel like I have that time to go and pursue other things, I guess. The downside of it all is, you know, um, kind of it can be a big commitment. You know, when I when I was doing lecturing, it was it was quite um, it was quite a commitment. It was it was a big chunk of my week. Some days it would be four days. And so so those weeks I wasn't necessarily able to do as much writing and, and kind of pitching as I would have liked to have done. Um, and but yeah, so so it can it can you know, there is a give and take. And I think, yeah, just finding the right balance and. Um, but I, I'm somebody that really enjoys adding new like skills um, 
to, to my set. Um, so I really enjoyed the experience of going into a university and, and kind of learning a brand new skill set and going into, you know, amnesty and learning a brand new skill set there and coming to the big issue and doing what is essentially um, kind of a talent incubation lab program thing. I'm not really sure how to describe it, but it's, um, it's kind of like helping talent develop inside a newsroom. So it's a bit of teaching and kind of editing. And so it's, it's actually been really exciting to kind of be able to vary things up a bit as well. Um, but I guess, yes, the, 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 the downsides of, of doing all of that is that, yeah, you don't necessarily have the best um, kind of, sometimes it can be difficult to kind of work on your own things, but I do enjoy the variety. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's, that's the great thing about being freelance, isn't it? You sort of, you ha do have fingers in lots of different pies and you can turn your hands to lots of different things. And if work dries up in one area, you can kind of flip over and, and put more time into, into another area but I get what you're saying also about it taking up a lot of time I know I did some shift work over the pandemic again because other work had, had fallen away um, but very quickly I realized that shift work just didn't work for me um, I couldn't be that rigid particularly when I had family at home and I didn't actually enjoy um, that kind of rigid hours either it didn't really work for me um, but it built that relationship with those editors so that now I actually commission, sorry, I pitch stories to them and they commission me for sort of single um, stories. So I guess, it, again, it's it can be a way into kind of building those relationships. And I think that kind of leads on to something we want to sort of talk a bit more about now is sort of how can you build that relationship with an editor so that, you know, they are very receptive to your pictures or even they come to you um, with specific commissions in mind. I wonder, Mel, if you could perhaps give us some advice in that area. Yeah, um, so when I, I had a stint where I wrote a few things, one after the other for The Guardian, and I had, I'm trying to think the first article that I actually did for them but it took quite a while um, with the first one to kind of have a lot of back and forth from my initial pitch to get to the point where they would take the article and then I think once that was done I just kept things warm so I would keep in touch and I'd pitch more things that I, as I sort of got to know what this particular editor was interested in and what he liked about what I did um, I would pitch along those kind of lines and then I think it was another three or four articles that came off the back of that so that was a that was a good run um and then of course once you've got a brand like the garden that you can say you've written for then other people you know just take take it a bit more seriously when they hear from you but I do think that it's really um you know it's, it's difficult anyway to get into that sort of sweet spot where someone thinks of you first, unless you've got something super mega unique, like a topic that only you have access to or something like that. Um, that is very difficult. Even if you're kind of a brilliant journalist, a brilliant writer, brilliant researcher, your ideas are awesome and all that stuff is there because the agendas are, are quite often influenced by just what, what is popular, what is getting clicked on. And so you can actually, if you want to, tool everything you do to that, if you're aware of what, you know, you've got your finger on the pulse with that. But what that means is that you 
you don't pitch what's interesting to you necessarily. And there's a there's a middle ground. You're, you know, you're always hustling as a freelancer to pay your rent. So there's a bit of like pitching what you think might get picked up that's less interesting to you and what's really interesting to you that might not, might be like a long slog to get someone to take it. But the agendas are just um, shifting you know, faster than we can move as, as as journalists. So I haven't really relied massively on like having a relationship with an editor where I feel they're going to come back to me or just kind of banging on the same door. I think it's about a spread and then kind of developing relationships with a few people where they kind of know you're reliable. Because that's another thing, as a, as a editor myself, if someone can be relied on to pitch a good article to that's relevant for your audience that they can agree and deliver to a deadline that it is roughly the word count you agreed it is the topics you agreed and it isn't just cut and paste from google kind of thing because that does happen that that person is good to go and it's like i would then think of them for particular things i needed done but also i always try new people so it's i wish it was as simple as like develop a good relationship with someone and they'll come back to you and you'll have like your rent paid is is super complicated. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess you can't assume that um, you know, once an editor's used you once, commissioned you once, that's it, you're kind of foot in the door. Um, I guess I think I found what's useful sometimes is just keeping your name at the top of their mind. So you've pitched a few things, maybe they've not picked it up, but then actually they think, oh, I've got this piece I need. Um, you know, Emma's been in touch a few times recently. I it's kind of it's like I'm just I've just reminded them I think that I that I exist um Tafael I'm interested in your thoughts on this how how do you make an editor notice you and want to come back to you have you got any tips on that yeah so I, I was quite lucky during the pandemic that I had um a couple of places where um like Mel I think I had like you know a good run of of, of commissions um in each place so one was the independent and the other was uh cnn and part of that was um you know i had kind of put out that I was available for work and, and a lot of my previous background was in culture and, and and things like that so um cnn was was really keen on doing some culture commissions and and the editor kind of reached out and i think what what happened there and and why it kind of really worked out nicely is because um rather than me kind of giving her a cold pitch we actually had a really good uh half an hour call in the initial uh in the initial stage just to kind of talk about what it was that you know she's looking for the kind of stories that and the kind of stories and angles that really work for for her section which is cnn style um and so we actually had like a really good talk about all things kind of like cultural and and kind of like arts and all of that stuff and it really gave me an idea of her tastes um and the kind of angles that, that she would be looking for, you know, it's obviously CNN, so it's something a bit more highbrow, you know, adding kind of uh, a dimension to a story that you might um, uh, not otherwise think about. And um, so, so rather than kind of going for the low hanging fruit, going for something, you know, what does it say about the world and kind of contextualizing it in that sense. And so we had a really good conversation. And then when I did go and, and kind of pitch that first piece to her, it was on point to, to what she kind of wanted. And um, you know, that's not to say that every piece is a hit and every piece gets picked up, but I've, I definitely had like a, a continuous string of commissions there um, because I kind of got to know, you know, exactly kind of what a CNN style story is like um, and, and kind of what they're looking for and, and the kind of the number of interviews that I would need to do and the kind of the quality that needs to go into it. Um, and 
having I think for me also having like a real passion for the things that I write about and the things that I was pitching was also really helpful so you know I I, I have um, certain niches which I think are quite rare in in kind of um, entertainment and culture and sports um, so one of the things that I've written a lot about in everywhere I've gone really has been um, professional wrestling which not a lot of people really kind of cover in a in a um, in a highbrow way and so that was one thing that I was able to kind of um, pitch there and and have and, and have commissioned and it also kind of made uh, the editor kind of see me as um, somebody that's really reliable and kind of knows what I'm pitching and, and, and making sure that I'm kind of attuned to the tastes of, of the publication and um, and also kind of just getting an understanding by having that conversation. And obviously now, you know, there, there used to be a time I'm sure where you could go out to lunch with an editor to kind of have this kind of conversation. Now it might be over Zoom. Um, but having that kind of conversation with an editor, I think is really helpful and kind of understanding what they're looking for. And then, so when you do pitch, it's, it's kind of on the nose to what they want. And also, so they think of you when something does come up and, and unfortunately it can, work out but um yeah when cnn was doing um a series around you know race and diversity and in culture um they reached out to me because obviously those are areas that i'm really familiar with um in terms of culture and and i'm very passionate about diversity and uh, in media as well so um so so it's it's great to kind of build up a little bit of a rapport with with um your editors yeah, definitely. And I think it is, it's going beyond, isn't it? Just um, kind of sending them an email and maybe pitching to them or saying <clears throat> what kind of stuff you're looking for. It's actually being able to set up that meeting, whether that's a phone call or a Zoom call or meeting them face to face, getting that interaction and that real sense and understanding of what they want and working with them um, on those sort of ideas. I mean, it's if by magic, I had an email this morning from somebody that I do some work for asking if I had a capacity to do two days a week for them in um, January and February. So I haven't replied yet. I'm in that kind of, right, I'm not teaching that semester, like that kind of decision-making of, but I do one day for someone else, so that's three days. So does that leave me enough time to then flexibly do the other things that I want to do and to do the other articles I want to do? And, you know, it pays quite well, but it's that constant kind of balancing, isn't it, between... I don't want to be the reason I'm freelancing is because I don't want a job I don't want to be tied down too much to something versus being able to pitch the idea when I come across a great idea or something that I really want to talk about so I haven't made my decision about what I'm going to say about that yet I will I decided I would do this podcast first and then have a think about it and that does bring us to a point though to fail that I wanted to ask you about if you're working for somebody really regularly do you need to start thinking about a different kind of contract that you might need or arrangement, something like a retainer, which comes up from time to time, or at least some form of contract to kind of stipulate and how regularly you might work for them? I mean, my kind of, I always come at this from not wanting any contracts ever because I just want to be able to flexibly change and do and say what I want to do. And that's that's always the way I've approached it. But then sometimes I do stop and think, um, am I kind of, missing out here on things that I should be requesting from people that I work for regularly it'd be interested in your your take on that yeah I think like there are like pros and cons I guess because 
for me, I do enjoy the, um, I do quite enjoy kind of the, the having that uh, fallback of, of having a contract in certain ways, because I know how much work might be coming in, um, particularly with, with the university teaching and things like that. So, you know, I knew that I was going to be there for X amount of hours uh, over the entire semester. And, you know, that was really great to know. So I can kind of like work around that. Um, I think, you know, that can, again, it can be really beneficial if, if you are kind of like a, a kind of planner and, and, and quite um, a bit of a kind of like anxious person like I can be. So it's quite nice to kind of know that you have certain amount of work coming in. But at the same time, like when I've had, um, I do think like retainers are quite rare nowadays. So I'm not sure how, like, unless maybe um, it's, it's, it's really lucrative then I'm not sure how how often those do come up and but I do think like it's definitely possible if you do uh shift work and stuff that um it it, it can become a bit more regular and a bit, bit more kind of like contracted and and depends I guess on how many um how many days you're doing and, and what the organizational practices you know I've had like um, a kind of retainer contract where um it's just kind of retaining my services for an X amount of time. However, still um, each week they would check with me, like if I was available that week and what days I wanted to do, or, or if I was, you know, if, if I wanted to work at all. So that was quite nice, um, but it can, it can be very varied. Um, but I do think generally like they, these kinds of like contact uh, contracts, sorry, can be really useful if you if you are again kind of an anxious person you're worried about like you know making sure everything's paid and your dog's taken care of etc um but I, I i imagine some of the the downside of that and i've definitely had this is kind of feeling a little bit guilty and a little bit beholden like thinking like well i actually have to do this and i have to do x amount of days and i have to do this otherwise they might find someone else and and so you do feel a little bit guilty when you do say no um which isn't a great feeling because the whole point of kind of like being a freelance and um you know working for yourself is that you're you're in control yeah, definitely. We've we've done an episode this series on um, saying no because it is a really difficult thing to do, um, and I guess it's all about that relationship, isn't it? And kind of, it's not always about talking to editors about work you can do for them, but it's keeping in touch with them. You know, if you are going to have an extended period of time, perhaps where you're going on holiday, or you know you've got an other, you know, another project you're working on. Um, so you won't be available for work um it's perhaps touching base with people that you do have regular contact with and Mel I just wonder if we bring you in here because obviously you've sort of with your editor hat on I mean would you find that kind of useful if there was a freelance that you know you used quite regularly or you, you found quite reliable if they were just to kind of let you know you know periods of time when, when they're not available and just kind of keeping keeping kind of in touch with you really yeah that has happened um and I don't think there's any harm in it I think the only thing for the freelancer to remember is that um you know you're potentially uh what you know one of very many people who who might be doing that or sort of want work from that organization and it might kind of be one of loads of emails that sits there potentially not getting read but 
you you can only do what you can do so if you if you let them know that you won't be around then you've done your bit and if they do come to you and they don't get a reply you have told them kind of thing so you don't look unreliable if if you do actually get a bite while you're kind of away on holiday or something and not checking emails and then you don't get back and then you come back two weeks later and see that they you're like oh they got in touch and I could have had that gig but then I didn't reply because I wasn't there and then they gave it someone else like at least then you you can go back and say oh I I I, I did let you know that I wouldn't be available I'm so sorry that I can help on that occasion but um let's pick up now so it might give you like a good way of keeping the relationship warm I can't see any harm in it yeah there's kind of different ways aren't there of keeping the conversation going so it might be you might just get in touch if uh you've seen a piece that you know the publication has done recently that you really loved and you really liked the topic like there's different ways to kind of reach out not just pitching and try and build those relationships and um, I mean Tafael have you got any examples of when you've sort of done like just those little kind of messages and emails to um you know say hi I exist <laughs> <laughs> I think what a good way is just kind of like um, making sure that that you're kind of connected on Twitter and things like that. Like you don't necessarily need to um, uh, email and things like that. But if, if, if you have a good rapport with your editor and, you know, um, I think sometimes it can be nice to, to interact with their tweets and things like that. So, so that's, a, that's kind of a simpler way of showing, hi, I still exist, because you might have a bit of a, a friendly um banter or whatever on Twitter, I hate the word banter, but I don't, so don't know why I said that, but you know what, but you could just have like, you know, friendly conversation on, on Twitter, etc. And, and that kind of keeps things um, nice and cordial and keeps you in the back of their mind if they do come up with something. Um, and yeah, I think that, and also it's just good networking. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good tip actually. And I've, I've heard as well, um, some freelancers say that if they're going to cold pitch to someone, the first thing they do is they start following them on Twitter. They start liking that editor's tweets, perhaps sharing stuff, commenting on stuff so that when they do send in that pitch, they may actually recognize the name um, and uh, maybe I would be more likely to kind of open that email. So, yeah, I think that's a really, really good networking tip. OK, brilliant. We're going to wrap this episode up. But First of all, we just want to ask you for your one um, top bit of advice from our chat today. So, Mel, we'll come to you first. I think um, when you're freelance, you have you can have periods where it's like it's just dire. There's nothing out there. You're not getting any bites. You think everyone's forgotten about me, and um, then you start thinking I'm no good, and none of my pictures are getting taken up. I've literally just this is one it's course I've got nothing left to give like I'm you get in a spiral and it happens it's happened to me um what I would say is that you need to go back and look at the work you've done because for me because I've done quite a lot of different things and two files it sounds like you're the same and many of us will be in the same spot we're gigging journalists we're gigging people working this gig economies so we do a lot of different things but it all starts with our entrepreneurialism and our creativity that is inherent in our individual like in ourselves um and on those quieter times when you're panicking you will make it happen again it will pick up again so that is my like chant to fellow freelancers in any discipline yeah I mean taking stock of where you're at and kind of what you've done and what you've achieved is always really because you know you just forget don't you You move on and um, that's always really great advice so to feel same question to you what would be the one top tip you would take away from the episode today 
I am in agreement with Mel. I think it can be so easy when you're kind of feeling like nothing's happening and people aren't replying, et cetera, to feel really um, bad about yourself. And I've definitely felt that. I've definitely like been like, oh no, I maybe I can't write. Maybe I'm really bad and all of that stuff. And I think Mel's uh, piece of advice about kind of looking back at your, your work and your history is, 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 is really sound. And I would add to that also kind of like do something for yourself as well. Like do something where it's actually you know, where you're not necessarily catering to um, an audience or a publication per se, but you're doing it for you. And for me, that was writing a book and, you know, getting that to the stage where I, I wrote it and, and it's being published. And it's just like, wow, I am the brand in this project. And that that's a really good feeling. Um, so, you know, I'm not I'm not kind of like getting a byline from someone else and and it's actually this is my project this is my kind of like uh my publication almost and and doing something for yourself and and kind of sh sh again showing off that creativity and doing it because you love it I think that really helped um keep me sane and I think that that really would help keep a lot of people sane during this mad um kind of like life that we lead yeah, that's another really, really great um, piece of advice there. And definitely, I, I like that idea of, of writing something you're passionate about that is for you. Um, and yeah, that may well be a book or something else. But yeah, that's a really, really good tip. Okay, finally, as our way of sharing the freelance love, we want to ask you both, who is the freelance journalist that has caught your eye recently? So Mel, who would you recommend? So um, as a disclaimer before I say who I'm going to recommend, um, I my current contract is working at the Museum of the Home as the press and comms manager. And um, as part of that um, contract, I have um, I, I work with one of the creative programmers at the museum called um, June Belbono, and they also write. Um, and some of the articles that June has written, um, specifically, they've written for Galdem, which is a, an outlet and a publication that I really love and think is really important to, to follow at the moment. Um, they've written about kind of gender identity, the kind of fluidity that can involve how you kind of think that through as an individual um, and how that works in different cultures. And those kind of issues, um, June works around those issues in, in their programming work at the Museum of the Home, but they are issues that are important as an individual. And so they're putting that stuff out there from the perspective of some lived experience, which always makes for a really rich kind of reading experience from the person reading the articles, um, but from a position of kind of sharing something that is, I think, also kind of um, talked about more at the moment is kind of a thing that people are becoming more aware of those kind of topics so the I would point to June and June's articles in Galdem um, I know that's like oh Boston's holiday because you work at museum you work with June but I'm I'm quite new in the job and it's not it's just something that I've I've read their articles and I've learned um, and I, it's made me think and that's kind of what journalism should do so that's my that's my yeah. That's a great recommendation. We don't mind where you come across um, the writers that you want to show about. That's that sounds fantastic. Okay, so uh, same question to you, Tafael. So um, earlier this year, I was lucky enough to be one of the judges for the first um, Freelance Writing Awards. Um, so I 
got to see some brilliant, brilliant pieces by uh, just a wide range of, of different freelancers um, in one of the categories that I, that I was judging was the culture category. And I have been doing that for a really long time. And I was really impressed by two people in particular that, that uh, one was the winner and one was the runner up, in fact. And I really went to bat for them because I really love their work. Um, and one was uh, Neith Ekpadum, and I'm probably saying that wrong. I'm really sorry in advance if you're listening. And Jason Akindai, who, again, probably saying that really wrong, but um, both had really fresh kind of takes on culture. And it was about kind of making it more diverse and more inclusive. And I think that's it's, it's really great to see, um, you know, these different kind of people, different kind of uh, races, uh, religions, all of that stuff being represented um, and showing kind of like the modernity of Britain as it is today. And so I think they're both doing excellent work. And uh, Jason was also um, a very prolific Love Island tweeter and was was really great at that. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, well, another two fantastic recommendations there. And we'll, we'll make sure we put links uh, to those people and their work in our show notes so people can go and check them out. But unfortunately, it's time now to bring this episode to a close. But hopefully we've given you all a few pointers on how to get steady work, if that's what you're after. Yeah, so you can find out more about us and all the resources that we offer at our website, freelancingjournalist.com as well as joining Freelancing for Journalists Facebook community um, of 5,000 members. If today has kind of made you want to do a bit more networking, then come along and join us. Yeah, and on social media, we're at Freelancing for, and you can also follow us individually. I'm at Lily Cantor. And I'm at Emma Journo. Uh, we will also want to say a big thanks to our research assistant, Helen Quinn, and our producer, Maddie Drury. And we'll be back again next week, but goodbye for now. Bye.